So I'm going to try to be fairly brief. I got a, a fairly short message. And we're going to be in Exodus chapter 17. Just want to go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, God, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, your truth, Lord. I thank you for allowing me to come up here and to speak and to, Lord, to read your word and to look at, try to delve into what it means to us as Christians, Lord. Thank you for it. I pray that you would watch me, guide me, and Lord, just keep me from saying anything that's, that isn't right or that doesn't honor you. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to just read a couple of verses. Exodus 17, I'm going to actually read verse 8 and 9. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go, and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Sunday, Aaron Booth was here and he preached out of this um, after this. You know, we, we all know the story, right? So they're on the hill and Moses lifts up his hands and the Israelites prevail. His hands get tired, they drop, the, the Amalekites, Amalekites prevail. And so Aaron and her come up alongside him and they hold his arms up. They, they put the stone under him so he could sit down and rest. And, of course, the Israelites prevail. So this, in my mind, is a picture of spiritual warfare. So it's physical warfare, but it's spiritual warfare as well. So the Israelites are descendants of Jacob, right? The, the Amorites are descend, the, they're descendants of Esau. So... Jacob represents, you know, Israel, they represent the spiritual nature of man. And the Amorites represent the fleshly, worldly nature of man. So they're fighting, and it's a physical battle. But it's a spiritual battle, and the significance with Moses, you know, when we're in a spiritual battle today, right, we get tired, right? We, our arms drop. We need people to help us. We need to help others. We need to support each other. So I want to look at this, you know, this concept of spiritual warfare. And there is actually a call for warriors today more than ever. You know, we are in a war. We are in a spiritual war. Christians should all be warriors God's men are warriors, and men of God, all of us, should be warriors. Pastor and I were in New Hampshire and Maine this week. We were at a preacher's conference, and I met a gentleman, uh, Todd Bell, his name is. He's a pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Sanford, Maine. Now, <clears throat> some of you may have heard the name. He was on MSNBC they did a spot on him because he was coming under fire for having a wedding where there was an outbreak of COVID. Of course, the media portrayed it in a different light other than the way it actually happened. But, but I mean, that's neither here nor there, really. But he got blamed for it because he's holding, he's holding a wedding service. 
Um, he's been getting death threats. People call daily. His wife came into service one morning a couple weeks ago in tears because she's receiving death threats against her and her children. Now, how do you, you know, how do you be a warrior through that situation? How do you continue? How do you fight? And obviously, you have to have the strength of God with you. And so he's still under, you know, he could still be arrested at any time. And so we see that he's taking a stand. You know, he's not going to stop holding services. They try to browbeat him into doing that. The city of Stanford actually put out an ordinance. It's a $100 fine if you're caught without a mask anywhere in public. And they have a, you, any resident is encouraged to call 911 and report another resident, and the police will actually come, and they'll, they'll respond to that call and enforce that, that law or that ordinance. So really, what is that about? What is it about, right? Because it can't be, it can't be about a mask. How about Jack Treber? The president of uh, you know North Valley Baptist Church, uh, pastor of North Valley Baptist Church, and the president of Golden State Bible College, he's amounting fines. Last I knew, it was five thousand dollars a day for holding church and for singing in the congregation. Now, <clears throat> what's that about? Is 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 singing in a congregation really? Does it really warrant $5,000 a day fine? No, it's not about that. It's about religious liberties. It's about freedom, right? We, our freedoms and our liberties come from God. They don't come from man. But man is trying to take them. They are coming for the churches, they're coming, you know, I wish I had the typewriter from the Flintstones, right? When you type, the bird comes out and he etches it in stone because I want to etch this in stone. Mark my words, they are coming for the churches. They're coming for the religious liberties that we enjoy. Now, with liberty, with freedom comes risk. We didn't get our liberty as a nation without risk. We don't keep our religious liberties without risk. It also comes with responsibility. If I want the freedom to believe as I want to believe, I have to respect and give that freedom to others as well. Because the government can pick off anybody they want. We are free to speak the truth, the truth of God's word. That's in the First Amendment. And, and, and in the First Amendment, they talk about freedom of speech, the free expression. But the very first thing the First Amendment talks about is religious freedom. And it says Congress shall not make any laws to bridge that. So how then can they tell a pastor in California or in Maine that he can't hold services because somebody might get sick? We assume those responsibilities. If I 
feel that I'm at risk or my wife is at risk, we can make the decision to stay out of service. That's our freedom. But we don't have the right to say the rest of you can't choose to take that risk. Freedom comes with risk. It always has, and it's always gonna. So they are, they are coming for the church. And you know what? Freedom to preach the truth, respect other people's freedoms, because there's churches out there that aren't speaking the truth. They're speaking lies. They're cults, right? Guess what? They have the freedom to do that too. The same way we do. We are people. We do not decide where those freedoms start and where they stop. God decides. Religious Babylon's coming in Revelation, I don't know, 15, 16-ish, right? It's coming. Those false churches are going to fall. God is going to decide when his judgment comes on those churches. Not us. Not the government. You know, the true church is going to fall too, right? In Revelation. The age of, we're studying in Sunday school, dispensationalism. We're in the dispensation of grace, the church age, the age of grace. Guess what? It's going to fail too. Because there's going to come a day, that failure is going to be apostasy. We're, we're already on our way. Now, don't get me wrong. Us, you, me, individual Christian, we don't have to fail. Local New Testament church, Harvest Baptist Church, we don't have to fail. We can stand strong. We could take a stand. We could stand for, the, for God and for his word. But the church in whole is going to fail. And that's going to be in God's time. These, this government doesn't get to stand in. Governmental truth is nebulous. The governmental truth of 2020 is not the governmental truth of 1776. It's not the governmental truth of 1976. And it probably is not going to be the governmental truth of 2021. Because governmental truth changes. It follows the ebb and flow of the political tide. God's truth is immutable. God's truth never changes. It never has and it never will. We, Christian, need to stand up for God's truth. We need to be warriors. These pastors, Pastor Treber, Pastor Bell, and countless other ones that I don't even know throughout this country, I count Pastor Shot among them, they are standing on the front line for our freedoms. You know, Jack Treber, I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have this, his statement exactly verbatim in my head. They were talking about the restrictions on Sunday school and on worship. And he said, I have, I think he said, 11 grandchildren. 
I could be wrong about the number, but it's, I, I remember thinking slightly less than Pastor Shah has. So he said, I have a number of grandchildren. My congregants have grandchildren. Our Sunday school is shut down. Those children are not in Sunday school. They're not in junior church. They're not receiving the word of God and the truth of God's word. He said, if I, and again, I'm paraphrasing, if I could open that all up to them, and the downside to that is there's a real good chance that you're going to catch this virus because kids largely are, are not a demographic that catches the virus. And he said at 60, I believe five or seven years old, he would not, he's not in the best demographic for survivability. But he said, if I could open tomorrow and get my grandkids in Sunday school and in junior church and your grandkids and your kids in junior church and in Sunday school, I will take that chance even if it means that I'm going to die in a hospital on a ventilator. And I remember like thinking about that. That kind of blew me away. Why? Because that's freedom. Because freedom comes with risk. And he's saying, I'm going to take that risk. Because there are things that could happen to a man that are worse than death. And growing up with a generation that does not have the benefit of God's word or instruction in a local New Testament church, in his opinion, is one of them. And he makes that choice because it's freedom. And so mount up the fines. See, that's standing on the front line. That's standing on the front lines. But, but generally, we hide. We, ideologically, we agree. What happens when they're coming to put us in cuffs? Because it starts with a church in California and a church in Maine. They're not going to stop there. It's coming for the whole entire church. It's just a matter of time. We will stand up, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I believe in the Second Amendment as well. How many people have heard someone, probably even a good Christian person, say, they'll get my guns when they take it from my cold, dead fingers, right? We have Christians that will claim they will die at their front door to protect their Second Amendment rights, but they won't take five minutes to sit at a computer and write every single official in an email how they feel about abortion, they're, they're not going to take the five minutes to take that fight. But when the government comes to take their Second Amendment right away, they're going to spring into action. No, they're not. They're kidding themselves. And, and we're all kidding ourselves. We need to be warriors. We need to stand up. You know what? Warrior, being a warrior, it's not standing in the driveway with an AR-15. It's kneeling in your prayer closet with your Bible. It's not putting on a Kevlar vest or you know, a plate carrier or a Kevlar helmet. It's putting on the armor of God, right? That's what it means to be a warrior for the Christian. Now, Ecclesiastes says there's a time for all things, time for peace and time for war, right? So 
I hope to God that day never comes. But it might, but it's not here now. Now, today, our warfare, this is our sword. This is our AR-15. We need to stand up for the things of God. We need to stand up on the front line and be vocal. Again, sit down at your computer and write an email to every single city official, state official, national official you could think. There should be hundreds of copies on that email. And tell them how you feel about abortion. Because if you're not willing to do that, you're not going to stand. You, we're not going to stand. I, I'm guilty of it too. I'm not preaching to you people. I'm preaching to myself as well. I need to take a stand as well. This is not going to go well for us. There's, you know, I got to trim this, and there's a few things I, I probably shouldn't say, so I'm not going to. David was a young man when he faced Goliath. He showed up because his dad said, basically, go check on your brothers, right? Paraphrasing. He showed up. He went out and faced Goliath, a kid. He faced a nine-foot giant. When men, warriors, including King Saul, cowered in the trenches, and his brothers looked at him with disdain, and they said, what are you doing here? And he said, what do you mean? Is there not a cause? Right? Is there not a cause? What do you mean, what am I doing here? I'm here because I'm standing up for the precepts and the principles of God. I'm not going to fight this giant. We represent the armies of the living God. We can't lose. God said to Joshua in the beginning, right? He, he laid it out, you know, I'm with you. Don't be afraid of nothing. That's, that's just as true today. That's just as true today. David was a young man, and he took that stand. Jaden's 14 years old. He wants to preach. He wants to be on the front lines. I'm, I'm, I'm 58 years old. What can I do? I don't know, but I could do something. We could all do something. Because David is proof that you don't have to be 32 years old, top physical condition, physical running 20 miles a day warrior. Because we can all do that. We can all stand for God. We can all stand on the front line and fight that war. We can all, in our own way, be warriors. There, is there not a cause today? There is. Stand up and fight. The word of God is immutable. God is going to be with us. God is with us. He's not going to leave us. And you know what? If I die standing up for the word of God, whatever. Because there's things that can face me that are worse than death. And living on my knees and letting the government tell me that we can't come into this building and worship God, we can't listen to our pastor preach the word of God, that's not acceptable. It's not acceptable for me and it shouldn't be acceptable for any one of us. Is there not a cause? Oh, there is a cause. Thank you.
God bless you. Eric's going to come and do one more song. Oh, oh, sorry.